I came across a really interesting quote the other day that I want to read to you from a, a pretty famous person. Um, she says, people get more famous so that they can make their brand more famous, so that they can sell more, so that they can make more money. It's a never-ending cycle, getting more money, having more hits, being the lead in the movie. Those things might stimulate you, but they do not make you happy. I've experienced it already, and I'm telling you firsthand, it doesn't. Do you have any idea who said that? Close. Miley Cyrus, uh, of all people. Saint Miley Cyrus. What is she like, 21 years old, I think? I mean, to, and for all that she's been through the ringer, I mean, bless her heart, um, to come out uh, with such a perspicuity on, on life. Uh, and I mean, you can take what she said about fame, you know, here's someone who's 21 and very famous and seems to kind of have her wits about her about this point at least. You can, you can apply that uh, to other aspects of your life. I know that I could, for example, pastoral ministry. Um, and uh, I just finished reading this book by Eugene Peterson, who you might know most famously did the message translation of the Bible. It's a paraphrase of the Bible. But this is a memoir called The Pastor. Um, which reflects on his 50-year uh, career of being a pastor. And I simply uh, couldn't stop reading it. And there's one passage that will always um, stick out to me where he, um, he uh, is fairly new at being a pastor, about seven years in or so, probably in his 30s. And um, uh, he has uh, this interaction uh, He's been going to meetings for a very every single night, basically, for several weeks, and he has this interaction with his five-year-old daughter, Karen. One evening after supper, Karen, she was five years old at the time, asked me to read her a story. I said, I'm sorry, Karen, but I have a meeting tonight. This is the 27th night in a row you've had a meeting. <laughs> she had been keeping track, counting. I can't believe I have a five-year-old. I couldn't imagine her doing that. Um, the meeting I had to go to was with the church's elders, the ruling body of the congregation. In the seven-minute walk to church on the way to the meeting, I made a decision. If succeeding as a pastor meant failing as a parent, I was already a failed pastor. I would resign that very night. We met in my study. I convened the meeting and scrapped the agenda. I told them what Karen had said 20 minutes earlier in our living room and I resigned. I told them I had tried not to work so hard, but that I didn't seem to be able to do it. It's not just Karen, it's you too. I've been a, a pa I've, I haven't been a pastor to this congregation for six months. I pray in fits and starts. I feel like I'm in a hurry all the time. When I visit or have lunch with you, I'm not listening to you. I'm thinking of ways I can get the momentum going again. My sermons are thrown together. Uh, like this one. Uh, I don't want uh, to live like this, either with you or with my family. So what uh, do you want us to do? This was Craig speaking. His father had been a pastor. He knew uh, some of this from the inside. I want to be a pastor who prays. I want to be reflective and responsive and relaxed in the presence of God so that I can be reflective and responsive and relaxed in your presence. I can't do that on the run. It takes a lot of time. I started out doing that with you, but now I feel too crowded. And then he goes on to just sort of say the things he wants to do, to basically to pray, to teach, to preach, and to teach people to pray, and to be present and to listen. And he says, I want to have time to read a story to Karen. 
I want to be an unbusy pastor. Um, well, busyness. I mean, you're not a pastor. Very few of us in this room are, but hopefully, I mean, just hearing that, it can be something of a symbolic substitute for you. You know, how is this sort of true for you in your life? Something like it. Um, and uh, busyness, I think, is kind of an epidemic. Um, or you might say workaholism, even if you don't work, if there are other things that you do, maybe you're retired. I used to live in Hilton Head Island. I saw a lot of retired workaholics, um, you know, who are just constantly busy. People would say, I'm busier now that I'm retired than when I was working. Um, you know, and I felt this very acutely when I was a teacher, before I was in a relationship, uh, before I was married, before I had children. And I was a young teacher and I was always working and thinking and talking about work, about my teaching. I worked while I ate every meal, you know, over breakfast, over lunch, and at dinner, hardly a meal with other people, just my sort of nose buried in a book while eating a meal. I neglected my hobbies, um, and I had sort of an acute sensation of stress all the time. Even when I was at home, I even like dreamed about work. I mean, there weren't necessarily nightmares, but it just was so, so much toil that because I was dreaming about work, it was like I never had time off. Um, and, and yet, like the Rolling Stones, I wasn't satisfied. I couldn't get any satisfaction. You know, I mean, I just, I was trying to, to keep doing it, and yet it wasn't satisfying me. Um, and I was working basically every waking hour, including vacation. You know, as a teacher, you get, at least where I was teaching, I got a month off in the winter and three stinking months off in the summer. You know what I did for those four months? I worked. I planned the next semesters, uh, not enjoying my time off. And I even worked when I was sick, you know, uh, coming in and standing before my class while I was coughing and probably getting them sick. Um, and now, I mean, you probably have experienced this in your life and maybe you know someone like that. Um, but now it's made even worse with technology, uh, with social media. Uh, back when this was happening to me 10 some odd years ago, of course, technology and social media were starting to come on the scene. But it's even worse now. It's, uh, it's like a slave driver sometimes. Uh, everyone is basically working, even when you're not working, because we're constantly accessible with our emails and our Facebook and Twitter. Someone was at was a social media talk the other day, and somebody was giving the sort of optimal ratios of the amount of sort of posts you should put on different social media sites. And the, and the Twitter one was just so voracious that you have to like, constantly keep up because it's just this constant like hamster wheel and I thought thank god I'm not on Twitter uh, because it would just it would stress me out to no end I would be trying to keep up um, and you know a while ago when you would ask people like just several years ago when you ask people how are you what would they say they would say usually I'm fine or I'm good now and I'm a victim of this when you ask someone how are you what do they say Busy. I do it too. I'm busy. Everybody's busy. Well, all that, and we have the reading today from Numbers 11, um, uh, where uh, God uh, helps Moses out to delegate uh, because Moses is busy. Now, this passage is kind of goofy because you, if, you, if you look at the verses at the end of that reading, they've, they've edited it in the lectionary and taken some verses out. And one of the verses that's taken out says that Moses has 600,000 Israelites that he's working with under his charge who are coming to him 
asking uh, for his help, and it is stressing him out to no end, and he goes to God and like, why have you cursed me with this? Just kill me now. I can't handle these uh, 600,000 people. And he's really stressed out because he's carrying the sort of burdens and anxieties of all these people. It's a misconception that stress is basically like you're working too much. That, that it's a misconception to think that stress is the, a, a quantitative, cumulative result of the amount that you work. Stress is basically carrying other people's burdens and anxieties. Why are you working so much? Because you feel obligated to other people. You're carrying their burdens and anxieties. And Moses has 600 stinking thousand people whose burdens and anxieties he's trying to carry. I find it difficult to carry the burdens and anxieties of my two daughters. I couldn't even imagine the whole nation of Israel. Now, Numbers 11 has two parallel passages uh, in, uh, in the Bible. The first one is Exodus chapter 18, and the other one is uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1. They're probably basically the same account. Now, the one we had today is uh, fairly vague. Let me read to you Exodus 18, which brings in Moses' uh, father-in-law, Jethro, who helps him out with this task. Now, listen to what St. Jethro says. Uh, the next day, Moses sat and judged the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law, that's Jethro, saw all that uh, he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them... Uh, know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people uh, with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. And then he sort of says, now you can still do some work. He kind of gives the outline of the work he can do. And then he says, look for able men from all the people uh, who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate abroad, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people will also go to their place in peace." Well, you know, what am I trying to say here? What, why am I bringing this in? I mean, this is biblical. Please stop being a workaholic. Um, you know, stop and also stop perpetuating uh, the, the idea that, that busyness and workaholism is a good thing. I mean, listen to what Jethro said. Jethro says, what you're doing is not good. You're going to burn yourself out. You're going to wear yourself out. And like I said, these days, even if you're retired, even if you're a child, even if you're not working, we're busy. We're all busy with technology. And the amount of homework that they give kids these days, oh my gosh, everybody's busy from cradle to grave. Uh, and also, also, we turn Christianity into work, quote unquote. And, and, and we praise ourselves for the, and praise each other for the, the, the deeds and, and great things that we do for our faith that often 
uh, are just sort of facades that are hiding the, the sort of underlying um, needs that we have that we're trying to fill with the, the great things that we think that we're often doing uh, for a faith. But really, workaholism is works righteousness. It's trying to be a savior. It's trying to be your own savior and probably trying to be someone else's savior. And like with Moses, it's killing us. And so let me, you know, if no one else is going to say it to you, let me say to you, just, you know, feel free to take a nap. Like, take a nap. Take a Sabbath. Take some time off. Delegate something. Ask for help. You know, take a walk. And finally, trust that your identity does not rest in the things that you do and your ability to do them. Um, and this, by the way, isn't just in, uh, in the, these passages about Moses. It's throughout the Bible this idea is reinforced that we should have such a mentality from the beginning of the Bible where God makes for Adam a, a woman because he thinks that, she, that he ought not to be alone, that he needs a helper. I mean, from the very beginning, you can't do this on your own, Adam. You need a helper. And then think of the apostles and the acts of the apostles when they appoint the first seven deacons because they're, they're doing too much work. They need some help to wait the table. So it is, uh, it is ordained that they should have some help. And then finally, this is kind of cliche, and I never, never talk about it because it's so cliche, but it's true. I mean, it's right here in the Bible. But the way that we often talk about it is kind of cliche. Think about Mary and Martha. Let me just read that passage to you again. It's very short in light of all that I've said. Uh, Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve you alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Well, what is the one thing? It says earlier, Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching when she was toiling away like Moses was with the nation of Israel. Um, So, you know, how are you like Moses then? How are you like Martha? Uh, And let me please uh, be your Jethro today. Uh, And uh, or let me sort of channel a little bit of Jesus to you if you're like Martha uh, and ask you, how are you killing yourself with anxiety and toil? Um, How can you let go? How can you feel permission to do a little bit less? And trust others to do more. Or if you see somebody, better yet, who's out there killing themselves, how can you help them out? Give them permission to do a little bit less. Uh, Be an unbusy Christian. This little passage in the pastor is called the unbusy pastor. Well, not all of us are pastors, but we're we're busy. (laughs) Be an unbusy Christian. And let me just read another bit uh, from this book. After, he, after Eugene Peterson talks about what he wants to do, including reading a book to his daughter uh, at night instead of going to a meeting, let, let's hear what the people say back to him and what happens. One of them says, why don't you just do it? 
this is the way you started out with us. Nobody complained, did they? As far as I know, everyone was delighted. The people who didn't like it uh, didn't like you this way have left. So what's stopping you? This was Jason, a retired colonel, a problem-solving mind, impatient of amb- ambiguities. What's stopping me is that I have, this, I have to run this church. Why don't you let us run the church? This was Craig again. Because you don't know how. Mildred was less than tactful. It sounds to me like you aren't doing such a great job yourself. Maybe we could learn. They did, and I did. Instead of a resignation that night, we had a reorganization. We spent the next hour discussing how to go about this. When the evening was over, they had taken over, quote, running the church. They assured me they could handle this. All of them said they had learned the, quote, running the church aspects in their own jobs, professions and careers, on the job. Each in his or her own way said, trust us. Well, of course we can trust others, but finally I want to end with a a final ultimate plea that, yes, we can uh, share each other's burdens and and trust other people to delegate tasks to, like uh, God helping Moses to to point all the elders to to share the burden, Um, but ultimately uh, put it on Jesus Christ. For the love of God, think of Isaiah chapter 53 when talking about Jesus said, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And remember that stress is bearing other people's griefs and sorrows. We can't do it. Uh, And we can't bear all of everybody else's griefs and sorrows. But know that there is a man who ultimately at the end of the day, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And that means, as he said when he actually was hanging on the cross, it is finished. And everything else since that day 2,000 years ago is in light of that fact, that it is finished. And we do not need to toil away, that we can rest in the good news that Jesus Christ himself has borne all of this for us. Praise be to God for that. Amen.